0: Stay here through the prayer time. So I want them to hear our, our needs and hear our praises and, and uh, pray with us. So that's why I always I remember this. Here. We're going to continue this morning. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Gospel of Matthew, chapters five, six, and seven—the greatest sermon ever preached, preached by none other than Jesus Christ Himself. Today we're going to be in. Um, the wrong sermon, unless I go one over the right. Wow. You that? Yeah, it's gonna be. In uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, entire sermon on a couple verses, um, today's sermon is entitled, Our Father. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and in these two verses, Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. So as Jesus begins to teach us how to pray, the first word out of his mouth to us, Jesus modeling for us how to pray, is our, his first word, our. So this is how followers are to pray, our. Please listen closely to the next statement I'm going to make. It's simple yet profound. To Jesus, to follow Jesus means you are Part of a community. Let me say that again. To follow Jesus means you are a part of a community. Now that's a simple but very profound statement. Yes, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and primarily prayer is a a personal and private devotion. But when you pray to God as your Father, you're joining those around the world from every People, nation, tribe, and tongue, you are joining the saints of history. Prayer is a personal act, but it's also something much bigger, something historic that spans every nation and every generation. And somewhere inside of us, we all want to be part of something bigger than just ourselves. We enter into this bigger-than-ourselves thing. When we pray we join our voices with those who are more than a billion around the world and throughout history to declare that god is good and his kingdom will not be shaken this then back to the words of jesus this then is how you should pray our father now Today, saying our Father doesn't seem out of ordinary for us, but to refer to God as Father would have been radical and brand new for Jesus' original audience when he spoke these words. The crowd Jesus is speaking to is almost exclusively Jewish. They would not have called God Father. Uh, that was too personal or too familiar for their upbringing and their tradition. The Jewish people were so focused on the transcendence and sovereignty of God that they would not even speak or or repeat his name. Even today, you'll see Jewish people write G-D when referring to God. So there was and there is a deep, profound reverence toward God. He was transcendent. He was entirely other. He was almighty and all powerful and one did not just approach him with familiarity even by faith he was holy but here's Jesus saying pray like this our father our father so I think it appears to me that Jesus is the first individual ever to refer to God as father not only that the word that Jesus used in the original language is the word of Abba. So, this is an informal name for Father. Just like there is a difference in English between Father and Dad, or Father and Daddy. Jesus uses the informal, the personal Abba, Dad, Daddy. So, radical, radical departure from. Everything they'd ever learned, and everything they'd ever heard about how one addresses the God who created the universe. Jesus is telling his followers to approach God in prayer with confidence, with assurance, not as a subject, but as a child. So when you pray, you you must always have foremost in your mind that you're talking to your father, talking to dad. And and, uh, don't ever let that thought make you lose your understanding of his transcendence and his sovereignty to rule and to reign, but you can approach him with confidence. You're talking to your father. Yes, God spoke the world into existence, spoke the world into existence, and yes, he holds all things together he's not distant he is not too far he's your father he loves you he wants to hear you he's a good father this is key to understanding Christianity this question that I ask from time to time what do you think God thinks when he thinks of you That's that's a searching question Sirius, what do you think? God thinks what He thinks of you. You know what? He loves you. He loves you. Your dad in heaven sent His Son to come and be the sacrifice to forgive you of your sins, to restore the estrangement in the, estrangement, the relationship, to bring reconciliation, to bring salvation for this life and forever. He loves you got to know that. One theologian said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament and better than the old. Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of being God's child. No. Grasping that truth, God is your father help you to pray I think sometimes we're hesitant to pray because we're afraid of God we're bound in guilt for something that occurred or we did in our past maybe we have some things in our life that makes us feel like we can't talk to him or we feel like we haven't spoken to him for a while so now I feel guilty of Or we might think God doesn't want to be bothered by me. God is so big and my concerns are so small. If God is real, he sure wouldn't care about my little problems. It's been said the only person who would dare wake a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. I love that. Um, We have that kind of access. here's a photo of of JFK Jr. You see that? See President Kennedy at the desk and and Jr. under the desk? JFK Jr. in the White House. Now, imagine grown men and women, heads of state, dignitaries, celebrities, walking into that office, into the presence of President Kennedy, Nervous, sweaty palms, knees weak, arms heavy. Enter the president's presence with fear and timidity. They've been briefed on how to act, how to stand, what to say, what not to say. And there they are, uh, kind of half-frozen, the immensity, the enormity of the presence of the president in the Oval Office. And then contrast this with little JFK Jr. playing under the desk. Yes, his dad was the most powerful man in the world at that time, but he was also his dad. He entered into his dad's presence with confidence, and joy, in winning his president his presence is free to play. What if we saw God in, in our time of prayer to him it's like this? Jesus says, our Father in heaven, there is intimacy with God. But there's also reverence. Jesus goes on to say, hallowed be your name. So what does it mean to hallow God's name? Well, a couple things that means is we don't use God's name as a mindless exclamation, or even worse, as profanity. Right? Like those branches of Judaism that, out of reverence, won't write God's name instead spelling capital G dash D. Do we have reverence for the name of God? Do we speak His name with great care, or do we profane it? What does it mean to hallow God's name? The word hallow means to sanctify, to make sacred or to make holy or to be treated as holy. Jesus tells us that our prayers should include a concern for God's name being great in the world. God, don't let your name be blasphemed on the earth. Make yourself known to all people. May all people worship you. It also means that we pray with a desire that God's name be made holy in our own lives. God, may your name be hallowed in my life. The great Christian reformer, Martin Luther, would ask his students, how is it that God's name is hallowed amongst us? And his answer to them, when our life and doctrine are truly Christian. Luther's right. When we pray to God, hallowed be your name, we're asking for two things. First, that God make himself known to all people. That God make himself known to those who hate him, to those who mock his name. That they would see him for who he truly is and choose to worship him. And so, praying like this is an evangelistic prayer. And second, that our lives would demonstrate to the world a reverence. For his name Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 that we are Christ's ambassadors we are ambassadors we are sent to represent Christ and we are ambassadors for the character of God so to pray how be your name is to say God enable my life to make much of who you are to glorify your name Now, think of the names of God. This is not an exhaustive list, but he is known as Abba, Father. In the original Greek, kurios, which means Lord. In the original Hebrew, Yahweh, I am. He's known as Most High. He's known as God Almighty, wonderful Counselor, Lion of Judah, our Provider, our Deliverer, Emmanuel, which means God with us, the Way, the Truth, the Life. He's known as everlasting, great shepherd, master, savior, lamb of God, bread of life, father of lights, king of kings, prince of peace, friend of sinners, alpha, omega, beginning, end, Messiah, redeemer, and on and on. And in all of that, for Christians, the most personal name that we have is Jesus. We've been invited to speak to God the Son by his first name, Jesus. I came across a recollection this week of a CBS miniser- miniseries from the 90s that I vaguely remember on the life of Jesus. And, and the author of this article wrote that there is one scene that is powerful. Jesus is in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane just before being arrested Satan tempts him one last time he shows Jesus a preview of all the evils that will be done in his name and Satan says to Jesus will this really be worth it to die for these people this scene in the show is not from scripture it's an artistic decision but the scenario it proposes is still pretty powerful. Another wrote In the shadow of the cross, did Jesus observe all the wrongs, catastrophic and petty, that we credit to him? Did he see inquisitions in gas chambers, defenses of slavery, and God hates fags placards? Did he anticipate the way we'd use his name as a place in the whole car, or speak for him and pronounce his judgments in the wake of tragedies did he hear us mutter when confronted with need god helps those who help themselves did he want to shout that he said no such thing we can only guess at what all jesus endured in the garden that night but we know for certain soldier's ear you put it back on and, and I don't know why I smile when I'm saying that but I do um, the gesture of put the ear back on seems to say if you're associating my name with something I would never do um, I don't like that So when we pray in Jesus' name, it's as if we're saying, God, may my whole life be worthy of your name. And this should guide the rest of our prayers. We should be able to pray with confidence as if we're under the desk in the Oval Office. My daddy's working. We should be able to pray with confidence in Jesus' name. Save my child. In Jesus' name, heal this relationship. And this should also expose our self-centered prayers, because some of our prayers maybe should not be prayed in Jesus' name, but in our own name. Dear God, I want to ace this test. I didn't go to class or study or read my textbook, but God give me an A-plus in Jesus' name. Right? How will Only God can reveal himself to the world. But if we pray as he taught us, with reverence, care for his name, we will grow. And that's when we can begin to exchange our shallow self-interest for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's his name that ought to drive our prayers and our lives. His name. And Jesus continues teaching us how to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In gooding as it is in heaven. In my home, as it is in heaven. At work, as it is in heaven. At Tesser Hills Community Church, as it is in heaven. My own heart, as it is in heaven. So what does it mean to pray this? What is Jesus telling us to ask for? First of all, Jesus is telling us to ask for submission to God's desires. Your kingdom comes. Your will be done. Sometimes we want to pray to God about our kingdoms, right? And Jesus Jesus does tell us to make petitions. He gives us some examples in Scripture. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation forgive us our sins Jesus does say that but before any of that we are to submit ourselves to his will your kingdom come your will be done it's as if we are to ask God to give us what we would pray for if we knew what to pray for now I've said this before but the longer I'm a Christian more of my prayer time is spent asking God to make me able to know and do His will. I put all my requests before Him. They're extensive. There are things that I I would love to see happen in this church, in this community, in my life. Um, I put them all before God. But the longer I I walk my faith in Jesus, the more of my prayer time is spent um, asking God to make me able to know His will. secondly, when we pray like this, we're asking God to move in our world. Jesus telling us to pray, this phrase suggests two things. God's kingdom is not always on display in our world. And and, uh, we know this. God's will is not always done in the world. We know this. For example, there's violence, abuse, injustice, cynicism, fear, hatred. People who mock God's name to pray, your kingdom come. We're asking God to bring his kingdom to bear in our world and in our circumstances to stop these things and to lead people to something so much better. To replace them with his love and salvation. One of the great questions of prayer is, does prayer actually change anything? If God is sovereign, if he rules absolutely, Um, if God has a plan, what difference does it make if I pray? Well, I want you to know that I believe God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he chose to give us true free will. God, who is sovereign, made a sovereign choice and gave us free will. We can choose. We can choose to follow him and his ways, or we can choose to reject him and his ways. We are free to seek God and to follow his ways. So it does make a difference when we pray. God's waiting for us to pray. God is waiting for us to pray because he's given us free will. And he's letting us exercise that free will without him taking it back. He's waiting for us to pray. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So God is waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to invite him in so he can give us the things that we ask for, and He can give us things that are so much better than we even know to ask for. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. God is It is important to pray. God is waiting for us to pray. God has given us free will, and he is inviting us, imploring us, waiting for us to act in free will to choose him and to follow him in faith. So God is sorry. And he acts and responds and answers prayer. Which makes me wonder, are there places in my life, in my family, this church in our town where God's kingdom has not yet broken through because we haven't asked yet there's a movie about the life of C.S. Lewis called Shadowlands and his character in that movie says what blessings we have forfeited because we do not ask our Heavenly Father and then the character that plays C.S. Lewis is asked why do you pray you don't think it makes a difference to character replies I don't pray because it changes God I pray because it changes me and so that sounds like a profound statement but there's just one problem with that statement it's not found anywhere in the Bible (laughs) I do believe that prayer changes us but I don't think that's the main focus Um, throughout the Bible I see where the prayers of God's people actually move God action, story after story, prayer after prayer God hears God speaks, God acts God responds and things happen in people's lives and on the earth it didn't happen until they prayed to God John chapter 16 verse 24 until now words of Jesus until now you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete so there are things that God is waiting to give that God will give when we exercise our free will and ask for them on earth as it is in heaven it has been said that heaven is the opposite of Vegas because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas right you heard that old cliche but what happens in heaven should not stay in heaven one of the great tasks of Christian life is to think often about heaven I believe that doing that thinking often about heaven will shape our prayers and our lives more than anything else for example when you reflect on heaven and examine your own personal life then you can see your sins, your habits, your bitterness, your cynicism, all those things in your life that are so unlike the character of Jesus. It becomes very apparent. By giving us free will, God has predestined that every person who believes in Jesus Christ and accepts his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of their sin will be saved now and for eternity. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. For now and for eternity. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God fulfills his purpose in our lives. And we, being made perfect doesn't mean we execute perfectly, but it means that we are now free to become everything that God ever created us to be, to fulfill his will. The promise of scripture is that when you enter into the presence of Jesus, you're departing from sin. Now, if you can to meditate on that today, Wouldn't it motivate you to flee from sin today? In my life, as it is in heaven. So think about your physical life or your emotional life. Are you hurting? Are you suffering? Listen to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. A favorite verse of mine. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death. Or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, the words of Jesus I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take part, I have overcome the world. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but when I read, In this world you will have trouble of many kinds, Um, I'm blessed by that. Because I don't know about you, but I have experienced trouble of many kinds in my life. And so I am free from thinking I'm being singled out and punished or being tortured or thinking that the only reason that trouble ever comes is because um, I'm missing something. Jesus says straight up in this world, you will have trouble. And that blesses me because Jesus recognizes that. Jesus just states it. It's the way life is. And then he says, but take heart. There's something better. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. So yeah, we have trouble. We're going to have trouble. We have had trouble. We're having trouble, yeah. But Jesus says, take heart. In your trouble, take heart. Not only when you're trouble-free, take heart. In your trouble, take heart now. (laughs) <laughs> because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And that's true. There is salvation for now and for eternity in Jesus' name. You may be in pain today, physical pain or emotional pain. When we meditate on heaven, we see from Revelation 21 that our tears will be wiped away. Um, that's not we will wipe our tears away our tears will be wiped away you talked about an intimate encounter between God the Holy One and one of his children our tears will be wiped away for us that's amazing so that can give us courage to carry on until that moment comes we know in His time, God will take our pain away and replace it with His blessing. So we can pray, God, please heal me. God, please give me in your comfort. Finally, in heaven, everybody will be worshiping God. And if you read Revelation chapter 21 that's right where I would want to stop everybody be worshiping God But it goes on and, and what it, with what it means that everybody's worshiping God in heaven is that sadly those who reject Jesus will not be there Jesus does not force anyone to worship him And there will be many who ultimately reject Jesus So when we think of eternity We should think of those in our lives who don't yet know Jesus or who have chosen to out and out reject Jesus. And this should guide our prayers. God, hallowed be your name in so-and-so's life. I pray that they worship you. It should lead us to share the good news of salvation in Jesus' name. Here it is. Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Our Father in heaven, prayer begins with intimacy with God. Hallowed be your name. Prayer is concerned with the glory of God kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer is dedicated to the Lordship of God. On earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is motivated by the promise of God.